0: Father, we thank you for this season that you have designed to remind us of the beauty and gravity of your son visiting earth in a manger on Christmas morning. We pray for ourselves as we walk through these texts over the next few weeks and even this morning as we dive into the story of Mary, that you would help us to see ourselves in this story. Help us to see just the beauty of what you've done, the gravity, the significance of you placing your feet on this planet, and help us to rediscover the awe of Christmas that that many of us maybe have lost a long time ago. We pray that these stories would mean something significant to us and that you would speak to us as individuals and to a community as we open your word together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember when Christmas in your life was something that was super, super beautiful and special? Maybe as a little kid. I feel kind of bad saying, do you remember when Christmas used to be special, right? But that's, that's kind of how it is, is that there was a time in our lives that Christmas was the most magical season of the year. I have these distinct memories of being a little kid and driving down the street in the rain and the dark and December. and. The Christmas lights were lit up on the houses and on the businesses. And I remember looking out the window in my parents' car and seeing the the Christmas lights kind of reflected in the puddles and the raindrops. And I remember thinking as a nine-year-old or a four-year-old, whatever it was, like, this is amazing. And there've been seasons in my life where the awe of Christmas has just enveloped me. And I know maybe for you, there've been seasons like that, amazing meals with your family. Or a gift that you got that you were blown away by, or just the intimacy of Christmas morning, or memories of being a child in your parents' house, and the warmth, and the fire, whatever it was, for so many of us, and Christmas is a season that used to be magical. But somehow, as we got older, it started to lose its significance. We started trying to rekindle the Christmas spirit by buying gifts for our kids, but our kids never were as grateful as, the gifts, as we, for the gifts as we thought they would be. Christmas morning comes, and there's just this wrapping paper all over the place, and someone's whining, and kids are fighting, and someone's playing with a cardboard box that used to hold the $200 gift that you bought, right? And you're thinking, this is not what I imagined. Are you thinking, I'm gonna buy something amazing. I'm gonna make Christmas beautiful. So you go to the mall. You're in traffic on the freeway before the mall. You think, this is why they call it Black Friday. This is a dark day in history. Yeah. <laughs> People are fighting over the DVD player at Walmart. You make this nice meal for your kids, and you're like, this is Christmasy. They're like, ew, it's gross, I don't like it. And we lose the grasp of what makes Christmas such a special season. I think I can pinpoint in my life the moment when the magic of Christmas was lost. I was like nine years old, and I had asked for a very special gift. Many of you probably have never heard of this, but I wanted a video game called Tetris. It was like state of the art, right? <laughs> No, no game had music and graphics like Tetris, right? And it was for the Nintendo entertainment system. I got the Nintendo the year before. And so all I wanted, the humble gift of Tetris under the tree and and yet I was finding myself consumed with the desire for this present, so much so that I broke character, right? This is not in my character, but I started scouring through my parents' closet and everywhere, just looking for hints that they had bought me the gift, right? I'm like looking through the receipt file. I'm looking through my parents' laundry basket. Like, it's gotta be here somewhere. I can't be let down on Christmas morning. And then I went into the garage and I started rifling through my dad's car. And I don't know if I ever told him this, but I, I, I opened the glove box And inside the glove box, there it is, the cartridge, Tetris, the video game. (laughs) And I felt this mix of joy and like my innocence dying. (laughs) And Christmas morning wasn't as magical because I knew exactly what was in that wrapped gift under the tree. As believers in Jesus, there's probably been seasons in your life when these Christmas stories that we read are, are beautiful and magical Right at the end of the Car- Charlie Brown Christmas carol where they tell the Christmas story. And you're like, oh, this is this is what Christmas is all about. And then there's other years, and maybe it's for you. It's this year where you read a story like this and it just, the significance is gone. The beauty, the gravity of the occasion is is gone. Maybe... You've gone through the texts already this year trying to conjure up some Christmas spirit, but you can't find it. It's like you've read these stories so many times that they don't mean anything to you anymore. And it, it feels that same kind of tragedy, like the Christmas spirit is, is gone. You know, a lot of times we can blame Hollywood for this idea of the Christmas spirit. Right? Like an Elf, we, the movie Elf, we watched that last night. We learned that Santa's sleigh is actually powered by Christmas spirit. Right? We heard about the Grinch or Scrooge who lack Christmas spirit. Right? We hear about Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit in the Christmas story who are filled with the humility and simplicity of Christmas spirit. And a lot of times we think, okay, this is just a commercial ploy to try to get us to buy more toys at Christmas time. But everything, I'm convicted of everything as we look at the Christmas season that has been designed in the world, whether it's the lights and the stars or the gift giving or the meals or the family or the warmth, everything has been designed to try to point us back to the beauty and the gravity of this story. So my question for us as we embark on this Christmas series this morning is is what does all of this point towards? What are we supposed to feel as we read these stories? And and how can we be people who are 35 years old or 55 years old or 85 years old or 15 years old? How can we as people at our age reimagine that, that beautiful Christmas spirit that we had when we were little kids? And I think we're going to see some clues to that as we read through the text of the story of Mary this morning. And this is in Luke chapter 1. If you want to follow along, you can go to Luke chapter 1. Luke does a great job telling the Christmas story, so most Christmas messages end up coming from Luke. But this is Luke 1. We're actually going to go back in time next week and talk about Elizabeth and Zechariah. But today we look at verses 26 through 38. As we wrap our minds around the story, I want you to imagine that you're driving down the street at night in your car. And if you're like 14, just imagine you stole your parents' car, right? And you're driving down the street. And it's fine because it's a made-up story. You're driving down the street. In the middle of the night, you jump on the freeway and you're just jetting along and there's cars everywhere. You see the taillights in front of you. You see the headlights coming at you on the other side of the road. And as you're driving, all of a sudden you notice that you're the only car on the road. So where did everybody go? Was there a Black Friday special? I didn't know about Right. And just as you're noticing that no one's around, your car like tch, tch, sputters and dies like it's out of gas. But you look at your gas gauge and it's full of gas and you pull over to the side of the road. Right? You're not a mechanic, but in times like this, you pretend to be a mechanic, right? So you get out of your car, you pop the hood, you go around, you're thinking, where is everyone, right? I need someone to help me. And, and right as so you're starting to open the hood, all of a sudden the street lights doom, turn off. Your headlights doom, turn off. And you're standing by your broken down car on the side of the freeway with nobody around, you're your absolute darkness. And just then a light shines forth from the heavens you're blinded by the light of you look up into it and you see this angelic being emerge before you and you're filled with terror and awe and you don't know what's happening, but the angel opens his mouth and says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. How would you feel in that moment? I'm expecting the emotion is a mix of awe and terror You wanna scream, but you're scared the thing will kill you, right? You have no idea, there's no context for this. Obviously, God is singling you out. You don't know why, right? This is what happens to Mary as she's standing and encounters this angel. Luke tells us that she was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. And as she's standing there, the angel starts unfolding this plan that God has set forth where through her, he is going to bring the savior of mankind into the world. And as I read through this story, I imagine all those normal emotions that Mary would feel and And yet as I think about what it would take for Mary to leave that situation and leave that scenario and go and tell other people the story so that it got to the ears of Luke so that he could write it down for us, I realized that one of the biggest emotions that Mary must have felt processing through that whole scenario was that she was probably just humbled by the whole thing. I love how Luke points out just how specifically God had singled out Mary, and at the same time, Luke points out that Mary was pretty much a nobody from nowhere that would have never thought she would ever receive a message like this. We see that God didn't just send an angel to say, hey, go find any Joe Blow and give him a message about Jesus, right? It says that God sent the angel Gabriel, like a very hand-picked, high-level angel, to Nazareth, a very specific podunk town in the middle of nowhere off the coast of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Right? He doesn't even say Mary's name. and then he says, her name was Mary. Right? It's like this whole story is designed to say that in the heavens somewhere, God was having a conversation in his throne room, with some of the highest level officers in his angelic host, where he was telling them that he had handpicked a, a young woman, probably 13 years old, that no one had ever heard of, from a town that no one thought anything good could come out of, in a place off the coast of nowhere. He had handpicked her from that room to be one of the most important people that the world has ever known. And Mary had to process through that. <laughs> It's crazy to think that while Mary is down here on earth minding her own business, going through her life, getting ready to get married to Joseph someday, that that the God of the universe was talking about her to his angels in heaven. And what struck me as I read that this week is that if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus, if God has opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel and you've received Christ as your savior, the same thing that was true of Mary in the story is true of you that at some point God saw fit before you were even born to handpick you to receive the message of his gospel and understand it, right? That whatever day you look back on, it's the moment that you understood the gravity of God's call on your life and you stepped into that calling. Whenever that happened, was a day that the God of the universe had saw fit since before he created you to come into your unique life, right? Not your neighbor's life, not your wife's life, not your your husband's life, not your grandparents' life, not the person across the halls from you life, right? God stepped into your life specifically because he knew you by name. So he dispatched the spirit to come into your heart and illuminate you to the most significant, significant message in the history of mankind. He picked you and you, and you, and you, but not a group of y'all, you individually and specific and intimately. In the same way that Mary was minding her own business and the God of the universe was thinking about her, there was a day in your life when you were minding your own business and the God of the universe was thinking about you and dispatched his spirit to save you. And when you think about it in that lens, you realize that God is amazing. And I'm nobody. I love how Mary is like, I don't even have the tools to mechanically make this thing happen, right? She goes to God, and her only question is, how is this possible? I'm not even married, right? I'm a virgin. I'm, I'm not even able to have a child. I'm 13 years old. I don't have a man in my life. I don't have a husband in my life. Like, God, how is this going to work? And God says, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. Or The angel says, nothing is impossible with God. You know, the Bible word for what happens in this story when God shows up and lavishes gifts on someone who brings nothing to the table, the word is grace. Have you heard it before? One of the things that I never noticed before is how often the word grace shows up in this passage, right? The word grace in Greek, charis, shows up so many times that the English translators change it up because it gets repetitive if you say it too much. So when the angel shows up to Mary, the first word he says to her is greetings, The root of the word greetings is the root from which we get the word grace. And then he says, you who are highly favored. The word for highly favored is grace. Then he says, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You know what the Greek word for found favor with God is? Grace. So the angel shows up to Mary and his exact words are, grace be with you. You who have grace from God, you have received grace from God. Grace, 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 grace. Mary says, well, what can I do? He says, nothing, it's grace. It's amazing, you'll write songs about it, trust me, it's grace. I think the reason that we give gifts at Christmas time is because one of the biggest things that we see in the Christmas story is that God just gives so lavishly and generously without asking anything in return. I think that's the origin of why we give gifts at Christmas, right? Not because the mall needs money not because your kid needs a new Xbox, right? We give gifts at Christmas because God gave us the greatest gift of all time. He gave us Jesus, but he didn't just give Jesus, right? He gave Mary an opportunity to be a part of the most important story ever told. He gave a child to Elizabeth who had never been able to have a child before. He gave shepherds a a name where they've never been known before. He gave this innkeeper an opportunity to house the savior of mankind. He just gave, 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 and God expected nothing In return, it was grace. I think one of the ways that we can rediscover our Christmas spirit in our own lives is is giving generously to folks, whether it's folks that don't expect it or folks in our own family, expecting nothing in return, just saying, you know what? This is a gift. It's grace. Hey, this gift I bought you, it's because I love you. Enjoy it. Merry Christmas, right? There's something about giving that taps into the heart of the Christmas story because what we see at God's core is that he is a gracious and generous God, giving freely to all. James tells us he's the father of lights. He gives good gifts to his people. That's not really what the passage says, but I forgot it while I was saying it, so just forget that, we'll (laughs) cut it out of the podcast. James says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's the giver. God gives us Jesus. God gives us favor. God gives us the gospel. God gives us hope. He gives us a heart. He gives us his spirit. He gives us all things. He asks for nothing in return. And so Christmas is a time when we do the same for others. Right? You might be saying, well, no, I always expect stuff in return. Right? Then you don't get it. Right? That's not grace. That's like bartering, right? It's like, I'm going to buy them something that's just expensive enough to get the thing I think I want from them that they would never pay that much money to give me, right? Like, that's not real Christmas, right? Christmas is not a transaction of stuff where you say, here's my list, here's my list, all right, I'll just buy it for myself, I'll say it's from you. That's not Christmas, right? Right? Christmas is giving a gift of grace to someone who is unexpecting and undeserving, and you don't care if they ever give you anything in return. The reason that we exchange presents is not because it's an efficient way to grow our amount of toys. The, re- the reason we give gifts at Christmas time is because we're imaging God who gave us generously, and we want to show the world what he's like. And the funny thing is, sometimes we we try to conjure up the Christmas spirit by giving and it doesn't work. Like, I'm going to go to the mall. I'm just going to buy a bunch of amazing things for people and it's going to be great. I'm going to love Christmas. And you get to the mall, you can't find a parking spot. You get to the store, the sale's over, right? They're out of the thing you want. People are yelling at you. People bumping you, right? People are fighting for the toys that you're buying. You're thinking, all I want to do is have Christmas spirit, but I'm full of Christmas rage right now. Like This is not how it's supposed to work. Some of us shop online, right? And so we start racking up stuff, racking up stuff, getting our cart going, and then we buy all this stuff. We're thinking, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be the most special Christmas ever. And then all of a sudden, we get a glimpse of our credit card bill. I mean, God didn't, it cost him everything, but he didn't have a credit card to pay off, right? This is hard. This is like the backside to giving. It seems sometimes we try to give and give and give, but it only puts us more in the Christmas hole, not in the Christmas spirit. I think one of the things that our culture gets wrong is not that it believes that giving is part of Christmas because giving is absolutely a huge part of Christmas. I think one of the things that Christmas, or that our culture gets wrong in terms of Christmas and what it's taught us about Christmas that is wrong is that Christmas is not primarily about giving. I think a lot of times we look at the text of Scripture and, and we see that God gives graciously and so we need to be people who give graciously but, but I think the lesson that God has for us is not that we are God in the story, but that we're these humble people in the story like Mary, like Elizabeth, like Joseph, like the shepherds who gave nothing and received everything and they're in awe of God's generosity. So the question I have for us that we have up on the screen is what if the Christmas spirit is not primarily a spirit of giving after all, but what if the Christmas spirit is primarily a spirit of humility? Humility. And what if giving is a way to image God during the Christmas season? But what if the really way to tap into the emotion that God has for us at Christmas time is not to be the God in the story, but to be <coughs> the humans in the story? To step in to recognizing that you bring nothing to the table. To find a way to step into the place that God has lavished graciously on you to find a way to to receive the gift of grace, to receive the grace of God with humility and awe and reverence. Or I think a lot of times the reason that giving, 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 giving doesn't get us in the Christmas spirit is because the Christmas spirit is not about giving, 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 giving. It's about a God who gives and we just humbly receive. I love how Mary responds to God's message to her that's going to, break her life, use her in amazing ways. It like blows up her whole way of looking at the world. And she, there's no way she could understand what God's saying. And yet at the end of the encounter in verse 38, Luke, Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. God, I have no idea what you're trying to do here. It sounds amazing, but you know what? I'm, I'm just your servant. So whatever you call me to do, I'm in. Elizabeth has the same attitude. When Mary comes to her house, Elizabeth has struggled with fertility issues her whole life. And now in her old age, she's been given this this baby. And she's six months pregnant. And then her 13-year-old cousin comes along, who's never even been with a man before. And she's magically pregnant, right? And so Elizabeth could be jealous. She could be angry. But instead, Mary walks in the door and Elizabeth says, Why am I so favored? That's the word grace. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. She receives Mary with this depth of humility and gratitude and awe in that moment. The shepherds on the hillside were not in anyone's radar on the Christmas story. They lived on the outskirts of Bethlehem, not even in the city, amongst the sheep in the cold and the darkness. And those humble people were the ones that God chose to use to reveal his message of Christmas. It's come everything about Christmas. Points to a humble people being bestowed lavish generosity from their God. I think the thing that broke in me when I found the Tetris game was that what switched in my life was Christmas stopped becoming about delighting humbly in gifts that were given to me, and started it becoming, started becoming a spirit of, of expectation. And I think a lot of times the reason that we lose the spirit of Christmas, it happens when humble delight is replaced by selfish expectation. That we used to be at a place that we just loved Christmas and it was amazing and we're humbled to be a part of it, but now Christmas is this time that we expect, oh, Christmas is coming, get your credit card ready, right? (laughs) Christmas is coming, right? Like, get your raincoat. Christmas is coming. Everyone's going to fight with each other. Christmas is coming. Now I'm not going to get the gifts I want, or I hope I get the thing that I want, right? That's not Christmas. Christmas is a time to humbly delight in the gift of God, primarily in the gift of Jesus, but secondarily in all these other gifts that we've fabricated in our culture to remind us of the generosity of our God. And so if you're looking to cultivate the Christmas spirit in your own life, I'll I'll give you a few things that you can do as you walk through this month. Number one, when you give, give humbly. And the Bible says it's better to give than receive. And when you give, don't expect anything in return. This is the reason that we give you these opportunities to bless folks in our community that, that will never know your names, because it's a humble way to give and show the grace of God without you getting the credit. Right? And so your attitude as you give overseas or you give to RIP medical debt or you give to all these different places that we've brought forth for you is an attitude of humility to say, you know what, it's not about me. God has blessed me with resources and I'm just a conduit. He is using to channel it to bless those in need. It's just a humble gift from a person that's been blessed by God and I want to bless others with that blessing, right? We're giving humbly. And the second way to cultivate the Christmas spirit in our lives is to receive humbly. I know a lot of people who hate getting gifts. That might be you. Right? It's like, oh, geez, I hate to be the center of the attention, and nobody ever gets me the thing that I really want, right? Or, oh, I just, I just don't like this. I don't like this. I like to give, 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 give. I think you need to realize, and we all need to realize, that Christmas is Christmas because we received an amazing gift. And the biggest reason that we give gifts at Christmas time is so that other people will feel the gravity of Christmas when we've received something great, that we just never even thought of deserving ever. And so part of Christmas, a huge part of Christmas, bigger than giving, is learning how to receive and recognize that God has given you his grace and receiving his grace with humility and reverence and awe. And the third way, give humbly, receive humbly, and live humbly. Uh, There's something too, and we're gonna talk about this the next four weeks, cultivating an attitude of humility as we walk through the Christmas season. know the, the whole Christmas thing where Jesus came to earth, uh, Paul describes in Philippians chapter two, where he says that even though Jesus was in his very nature, God himself, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Jesus, even though he was God, took this lifestyle of humility and said, you know what? I don't need recognition. This doesn't need to be about me. This is about the people I'm coming to serve and the people I'm coming to save. And Paul says, let your attitude be the same as that. If you want to live in the Christmas spirit this December, walk humbly. Look for opportunities to serve people. Look for opportunities for you to get no credit for anything Look for opportunities to love people, to pray for people, to come alongside people, to bring hope and help to people. Just live in a lifestyle of humility because that's what we see marked in these beautiful characters in the scriptures. And finally, give, receive, live, and worship humbly, humbly worship. We're going to end in a moment with a reading of Mary's Magnificat, which is her response processing through what God had done for her in this. And And it's a beautiful response of worship. I think the way that we are designed to respond to a gift of grace is to praise the one who gave it to us. And so part of the way that we can cultivate an attitude of Christmassiness in these next few weeks is by worshiping God with every aspect of our lives. And one thing that we have for you as a church is that we've written an Advent devotional, which is every day in the month of December leading up to Christmas. We have a Bible verse and an explanation for you. And so if you jump on the app today, you can go to click on the message for today, and there's a little button that says Advent devotional, or you can go on our website, click on Christmas with Three Crosses, find our Advent devotional at christmaswiththreecrosses.com. Um, if you hate the internet, that's fine, right? We've got books for you. They'll come in tomorrow, and so if you come up to the church during the week you can grab one of the books and um, read through it day by day and walk through this devotional, you can share it with friends, all that kind of stuff, but what, what we're trying to do is to get us to cultivate an attitude of worship As we walk through a season where everything is designed to make us think about Jesus, but a lot of times we forget. And so let's humbly worship our King as we walk through this Christmas season and rediscover the significance and the spirit of Christmas. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes as we prepare to worship. And I want to read for us with our eyes closed the response that Mary gives to the gift of grace that God has bestowed upon her. This is the next passage in the book of Luke. As you listen to these words, consider the grace that God gave Mary and listen for the humble heart that she receives it with. Mary says this, my soul glorifies the Lord. and My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors.